0: Hello and welcome to the Hammer and Tulip podcast. Uh, This is me, Graham Phillips, and your other host is Gareth Dix. Welcome, Gareth. Hey, how you doing? Doing well, mate, doing well. And welcome to all of our listeners. Uh, Thank you for choosing to listen to our show. And today we're going to be taking a look at the doctrine of of total depravity which is one of the reformed doctrines of grace now if you've been listening to hammer and tulip for a long time you may remember that a few years ago when we first began with hammer and tulip we actually did a series through the doctrines of grace And what we wanted to do was really to revisit that um, and to really just kind of have a Um, (laughs) do-over. We're not saying that the first time we we necessarily got it wrong, but I think, um, you know, these doctrines are worth going over again and we hope to do it in a clearer perhaps more concise way Um, in fact the first few sessions we did on this came out of a course that we were preparing that we actually uh, didn't get to deliver because of all the lockdowns and everything so um, yeah so we kind of repackaging what we did um, for podcast and again really just hoping to put forward these incredible doctrines with more clarity because I do think they well I know I, I don't just think I know that they are some of the me- the most misunderstood um, doctrines in the Church of Jesus Christ today so what we hope to do really is to just try and sort of like explain them in a real like basic way um, with reference to scripture, with reference to church history, and um, also hopefully with ex- with our own experiences as well. So um, we're gonna touch down this first session on this doctrine of total depravity and, um, We'll really be touching on, on the, the whole subject of original sin. Uh, what is that? Is that something that's biblical? Uh, what does it actually mean? Um, we're going to talk about um, some of the historical debate around original sin. Uh, we'll take a little look at the, the different ways that uh, Reformed and non-Reformed Christians see this doctrine and hopefully compare and contrast that to the biblical text. Um, so. I hope that kind of makes sense. Gareth, did I I make myself reasonably clear there? Hopefully. Makes sense to me. (laughs) So, yeah, um, we're going to cover each of the doctrines of grace over the coming weeks on Hammer and Shulet. And we would really encourage you to engage with it. Um, We know many of you are not, uh, who listen in are not reformed or wouldn't describe yourself as uh, Calvinistic um, and that's that's fine we appreciate um, people of different perspectives listening to this show um, but what what we would uh, ask is is simply to to tune in and and hopefully uh, remain open to this uh, to this interpretation of these texts we found that it has given us so much um I think so much help in presenting the gospel to unbelievers. These doctrines of grace have really informed my evangelism and have actually, actually made might. me a more fervent evangelist. You know, one of the the classic... Um, objections that gets raised against calvinism indeed i used to raise this objection against it myself i was not raised calvinistically i certainly was a very staunch arminian Um, unlike gareth who's been raised more in the reformed tradition i was certainly provisionist in my view um did not accept the doctrines of grace and one of the criticisms that i had of the reformed understanding of the gospel um, was that it would defeat evangelism you know um if if you really believe these doctrines you believe in you know god predestining some to salvation then what's the point you know let him figure it all out you don't need to preach but i'll tell you this my understanding is it deepens and broadens on these doctrines has strengthened and given fuel on the fire of my evangelism i'm out on the streets preaching every week and um, i would say that these doctrines have in no way dampened that fire to share the gospel. If, if anything, this first doctrine we're going to look at of total depravity has really strengthened <laughs> my resolve um, to preach the good news of the gospel. So,
1: yeah, Gareth, I, I don't know if any of that resonates with you. No, absolutely right. I mean, you think about the likes of George Whitfield and Spurgeon. I mean, these were staunch Calvinists who had some the. Some of the greatest, most fruitful evangelistic ministry, you know, you know, in, in British history, certainly I would say, and uh, and certainly many of the the great preachers uh, over the years, you know, Doctor Martin Lloyd Jones being another one, strong Calvinists, and I I believe it's actually believing that that God has an elect, and actually it's the proclaiming, the preaching of the gospel that actually brings people uh, to, to God's elect to faith, as opposed to this idea of which you know the kind of Pelagian kind of uh, Arminian view of well you know it's it's down to trying to persuade people so we don't want to go in too hard we don't want to kind of put them off we perhaps we want to you know live a live it out in our lives rather than actually preach it and obviously we should live our Christian faith out in our lives but it's almost that sense of if we if we don't need we don't want to put people off by coming on too strong Um, so we've got to kind of appeal to the reason and the mind whereas the Calvinist says no I will preach the gospel uh, some people will hear it and get saved; others won't. But the the God, the God will do His work through the proclamation of the gospel. So, actually, I would argue that being a Calvinist makes you a gospel preacher more than if you're not. Yeah. Well, so you know, these are
0: these are things that you know for centuries, um, men of God, women of God, have believed, and have never seen as a barrier to preaching the gospel i do think that these five doctrines of total depravity uh, unconditional election limited atonement which we we should go, we should all go when we say that one Uh, (laughs) irresistible irresistible grace and the perseverance of the saints Um, these five doctrines um are called calvinism is another word for them i do believe are some of the most misunderstood um, doctrines in the the Christian, well, in the in the sphere of Christian orthodoxy, because they are considered within the realm of Christian orthodoxy, they have been believed uh, by Christians, Protestant Christians, uh, throughout the, the centuries. Um, yeah, and I do feel that because maybe um, of some of the difficulties in language You know, these were doctrines that were kind of really formulated at the, uh, you know, the the time of the Reformation, the time of the Puritans afterwards, um, through men like John Calvin, who gave words to these doctrines. It doesn't necessarily mean they weren't around in the church before. And that's what we hope to show today, is that these are not doctrines that were invented by John Calvin. Neither were they invented by Charles Spurgeon um, or anyone else like that. These are doctrines that are articulated, we believe, uh, is our conviction, are articulated in scripture, but were given perhaps fresh wings or fresh breath in the time of the Reformation and uh, in the time of the Puritan era. And so I think one of the difficulties is that the Reformation era language um, is used to describe these doctrines, and that language can sometimes be difficult for us to understand yeah. here in the 21st century. And so when we talk about total depravity you know this is something that really sort of runs contrary to our sense of the the dignity of mankind and often you know we'll reel back and say oh total depravity what what kind of a thing is that for a christian to believe you believe that we're all as depraved as we possibly could be and of course that's not the doctrine of total depravity that's the doctrine of utter depravity yeah uh, which is not what calvinists believe it's not what you know Calvin was talking about in fact Calvin never wrote these doctrines in the first place but I think there's a lot of confusion around it because of the language that's used and so what we're wanting to do in these uh, episodes is to is to try uh, if you'll stick with us (laughs) to try and kind of like peel away some of the difficulties that we have in Tra- sort of like translating these doctrines it through our modern ears and modern minds and get down to what they actually mean and so to begin with it's worth explaining that this doctrine of total depravity we don't necessarily have to call it that um, in fact rc sprawl um because of this thing that i'm explaining because of the fact that so many misunderstand what total depravity means, he prefers to call this doctrine radical corruption. And so we'll get into more of why that is. But I do think on the face of it, a lot of people hear these doctrines, you know, total depravity and limited atonement, and it feels like a slap in the face. And they say, well, I can never believe that. (laughs) But it's worth getting beyond that to the crux of what these doctrines are actually about and when we can do that we begin to see that these doctrines particularly this one we're talking about today I think they're, they're all Christian doctrines but this one in particular this is something not just that reformed people are supposed to believe but this is a Christian doctrine (laughs) it is it really is I think it's worth just explaining that from the start that you know don't be put off by the 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 phraseology here Um, you know these are just the skins that carry the wine so to speak Um, but if we can sort of not be upfront offended by the language and just do due diligence to try and get past that and into the meaning of what's being said here I think it will help us absolutely right yeah so um, do we want to just speak a little bit about where these came from because I think again um, one of the things that I've well, certainly, I believed for a long time was that um was that Calvin wrote these doctrines um, so yeah, it's often called Calvinism hear. and and I'll, let me share this up front with you because uh my experience of of coming out of the closet as a Calvinist has been <laughs> rather bumpy um, so lots of misunderstandings, um lots of people just not really understanding what it's all about. I actually sat down with one lady um after I mean, I yeah. So anyway, long story. I sat down with one lady who said, um, "So you've, uh, I hear you've become a Calvinist now." And I was like, "Right, okay. Um, well, I'm a Christian. Um, I believe that the doctrines of grace are true." And she's like, "So you're a Calvinist, but but you. So does that mean you don't believe in Jesus anymore?" <laughs> no word of a lie. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think there's Switch religions. There's yeah. so much confusion and sort of. misunderstanding around these doctrines like people believe that you know another one was I remember I left my former church there was a big hoo-ha about Calvinism and he's left because of Calvinism and that was actually never the case but um, that was the narrative that went round and um, people started saying things in, in sort of well against me really and in defense of staying at the former church they would say oh we follow God not man We follow god not man and i I took partly that to mean that they believed i was following a man they believed that i was following calvin and not jesus and the fact is gareth it's correct to say that calvin didn't write these doctrines did he
1: not at all not at all as we're going to find out so where did these
0: Um, where did this where do these sort of doctrines of tulip actually come from how did they develop
1: well, the kind of background uh, is a Dutch theologian by the name of Jacob Arminius. Uh, whilst being brought up in the Reformed tradition, he leant towards the more humanistic doctrines of a man called Erasmus. Now, Erasmus and the reformer Martin Luther, they had this very famous debate over yeah. the freedom of the human will, which is this is what led to Luther writing his famous book, The Bondage of the Will. And that's basically his whole argument against Erasmus' idea of, uh, of a spiritual freedom of choice or free will. So Arminius, he didn't believe in sovereign grace as it was preached by the reformers. And so after his death, his followers, who were known as the remonstrants, they boiled his main doctrines down into five points. So that's, there we go. So this doesn't come from Calvin. It actually comes from Arminius' uh, remonstrants. And these were the five points of Arminianism. And they presented these these five points of Arminianism to the National Synod of the Church in Holland in Dort in 1610. And over seven months, they closely examined the Scriptures to see if the five points of Arminianism were biblical. But I wish a lot of modern churches would be that thorough when someone yeah. comes along and goes, oh, I've just heard this from some pulpit in America. And you go, well, okay, let's just spend six months looking at it and see if it's actually in the Bible. That, that's what they did. And in the end, and this is really interesting, Interesting in the end they found them to be contrary to scripture and were declared to be heretical. So let's just flag that up that the Synod of Dort actually flagged up Arminianism as being heretical Um, and meanwhile around the same time the reformers of the church also affirmed the theological position held by the Protestant reformers as being entirely consistent with scripture and therefore biblically faithful and so this then became known as the five points of Calvinism in honour of the great theological and John Calvin. So at no point did Calvin ever write the five points of Calvinism or actually have anything really to do with actually compiling them together. These are actually written right. if you if you look at the canons of Dort, which if you it's well worth buying a, uh, a book on the creeds and confessions There are a couple you can buy, but just, you know, read the Canons of Dort and you'll see actually this is actually the arguments against the five points of Arminianism and the, the Canons of Dort, you know, this is where we get the acronym TULIP. So this is total depravity that we're looking at today. Unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints, as you already mentioned, Graham. Yeah. And one thing that's really important to remember as well, which is worth pointing out in this first episode, is that these five points they're all linked together uh, and you'll sometimes hear people say well I'm a, I'm a four point Calvinist or you know I'm a three and a half point Calvinist and it, uh, that's a bit absurd really because it's not like you can just take one out and put one of the points of Arminianism in and switch them up you know exactly. it's like they're, they're, there's a linear logic where all five of them that's link right. together like links of an iron chain you know yeah. so this is when someone says I'm a three point Calvinist I'm like no well, you not I like to think of them they're like dom- <laughs> they're like dominoes right like dominoes what, yeah I like that What's the do first it.
0: domino four the rest must fall with them, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. So really, that's essentially that's where the background comes from. So I think when anyone says, "Oh, well, it, um uh, you know, Calvin made them up or whatever. This is actually, it's this is there's much more to it than that. Yeah, and so
0: really, the um, the doctrine of total depravity, um, it's not so much speaking about uh the sins that we do every day like being being naughty stealing from the biscuit tin um (laughs) those kinds of things it's actually and i think that's i still do yeah well yeah yeah i've got to hold my hands up there but like i think that is that that is the kind of interpretation a lot of people have is that when we say total depravity they're thinking you're saying that people are just like the worst that they could possibly be all of the time Yeah, yeah, yeah and they're like actually no that's not what total depravity is about i don't know if you've like i always find it helpful sometimes to try and dig down to what this doctrine originally taught and i know like there are places we can go to understand that we want to go to scripture in a moment i don't know if you've got anything from the canons of Dort to help us
1: understand some of what this is all about so in in article one um on the canons of doctrine of divine election and reprobation god's right to condemn all people and it says since all people have sinned in adam and have come under the sentence of the curse and eternal death god would have done no one an injustice if it had been his will to leave the entire human race in sin and under the curse and condemn them on account of their sin as the apostle says the whole world is liable to the condemnation of god all are sinned and are deprived of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. So essentially, contrary to what Arminius was teaching, that humanity has free will, that the, the reformers were arguing that Humanity is totally depraved. So this isn't like, you're Hitler, you're really, really bad. It's, you know, it's every part of you, your, your mind, body, and soul is corrupted. In fact, a useful uh, illustration of this is the, um, the theologian Jonathan Edwards arguing that the choices we make, not being spontaneous as in coming out of nothing, but That's there's right. a reason behind every choice we make. So when we look at uh, Genesis chapter three, when uh, Eve looks at the fruit, in her mind she's already thought that it looks good to eat and it's good for knowledge and good and as there's there's like the wheels going round in and in her eyes and it's you know pleasing to her eyes as well and she wants to take it and eat it that that she didn't just pluck it out off the tree without thinking that was very much premeditated there was a move towards that which was wrong and so really what we're talking about total depravity is is the heart wanting uh, the mind th- con- thinking and conceiving and, and the body carrying out the act yeah that's it so like
0: i think edwards understanding jonathan edwards understanding is helpful so he would say the free that the will is simply the mind choosing what the heart desires like you choose whatever it is that you desire right you know i i want to have a drink of water right now well i'm going to choose to move my hand out take the glass and drink because that's my desire um and so that's what we mean by the will the will is the choosing of what the heart desires and we do have a great amount of liberty there's no question of that we um we, we have a freedom unlike any other created being. Uh, we're created in the image of God, who is ultimately yeah. free in all of his choices. Um, and so, of course, we have a great deal of liberty in what we can choose. However, if, if Edwards is right and the will is simply the action of choosing what the heart desires... Well, what happens when the heart only desires evil all the time? Yeah. <laughs> this is what the Bible says, it. and when we look to Romans three, for example, Ooh. Romans 3:10 to 12, there is none righteous, no not one, there is none who understands. there is none who seeks after God. they've all gone out of the way, together they've become unprofitable. there's no one who done, does good, no not one um, pretty damning and we can get more into that yeah. later but, but the point being is that if the heart is in some way impacted by sin in a really decisive way then even if you have a freedom of the will a, you know an ability to choose whatever the heart desires even you've got that realm of freedom in your will if your heart is enslaved to sin <laughs> then you yeah. how free really are you um, to choose what is good if your heart is captive to sin and that's really what we're getting at when we talk about total depravity it's it's more as sprawl says it's radical corruption it's corruption of the whole being corruption of the heart to to desire all the time that which is sinful before we're born again um it's a corruption of the um the the reasoning ability yeah um you know as romans one says again you know um That we suppress the truth and unrighteousness it's it's the bible seems to always teach contrary to this idea of the 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 nobility and the goodness of man in his natural state, you know Um, you know there is none good. No, not one. What would you mean? Um, you know, we've we've all seen unbelievers do Good things, you know, we, we remember growing up with princess diana going visiting poor children who've been the victims of mine explosions and we're not saying that an unbeliever cannot do something that is good but what we're saying is that an unbeliever can't do that which is good in comparison to God like when Jesus says to the rich young ruler why do you call me good there's none good but God it's a different standard of good and we recognize that the Bible teaches even the
1: good that we do is corrupted by sin I think that's that's a very interesting point you make as well about the reason being corrupted. Because one of the things I've noticed as well, as you you know a lot more about apologetics than I do, having studied it in real depth, but I think we would both agree that presuppositional apologetics Mm -hmm. is the most faithful and best form of apologetic because it actually uh, recognizes and teaches that this suppressing of the truth is the problem. So if you think I'm going to try and relate to someone on a level with whether it's science or philosophy, and I'm going to try and meet them on that level, which is what apologetics tends to try and do, what you're leaving out in in your reasoning is the fact that a person who's 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 lost uh the total depravity means that the reason is affected as well yeah. so it's like god has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers so you may be able to put together some brilliant philosophical or scientific argument for why god exists and their response would be well if god does exist i don't want him anyway 100 because- percent. well that, that's it you know so basically that <laughs> it's difficult to read through romans and come out
0: of it thinking that everybody's just born neutral yeah like, and that it's just a matter of who gets the right evidence and and those who are saved are those who've just made the best choices off of the evidence presented to them like that would be a very humanistic way to view salvation whereas Romans 1 really is just the nail in the coffin of that naturalistic humanistic way of viewing things rather it says in verse 18 of chapter 1 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their own righteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived that's actually that they have clearly perceived it in some way shape or form uh, ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse uh, for they although they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts uh, were darkened so this is very damning um, sort of writing about Man in his natural form. Yes, we believe God originally has created Adam and Eve with a free will. We, we don't believe, for example, that total depravity doesn't believe that God created Adam and Eve totally depraved. That's another misconception. No. Um, yeah. That, oh, well, if you, well, you're saying then that, that God made us To be sinful, um, that he actually made us to be that way. Uh, No, Adam and Eve were born with a real free will. They had the ability to choose what was good or to choose what was bad. Uh, They had a freedom of the, you can call it freedom of the will, if you'd like. But they had a freedom that we don't have. Uh, They were not captive yet to sin. That came with the fall. And so, this is a is another thing worth saying is that this sort of radical corruption wasn't originally part of the makeup of mankind. It came with the fall. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, and this is this is what the the doctrine teaches, whereas we find in Arminianism there's a, there's a different sort of understanding of those things, or in, you know, even Pelagianism, there's this rejection of original sin as being something that's passed down to all generations from Adam. I know there are different variations in Arminianism. There are Arminians that would believe largely what we believe, Um, but the the original doctrines um, would talk more of a kind of a partial depravity so that... um, Original sin affects us morally, but not necessarily in terms of our reasoning faculties or uh, or that there is still some kind of what they call provenient grace that gives all mankind equally an ability to choose what is good. Um, but this seems to fly in the face of of Romans 3 uh, and other such texts that describe man's inability to do such yeah. things. Um yeah i think i think that the text that really swung it for me sorry I'm, I'm blabbing on a bit here but um the text that really spoke to me about um the truth of this doctrine and the the real radical nature of our fallenness uh was first corinthians two twelve, and it says sorry, first oh, yes. corinthians two fourteen. the natural person that is just trying to try and explain what we mean by natural person yeah. it, the natural person is the person who's in adam as Romans 5 talks about it, the person who is not in Christ. There's only two types of people in the world, Romans 5 says, those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. And so the natural person is is the person who is not born again. They're they're in their sin. They are dead in sins, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. And 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and listen to this, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned so it isn't just that the unbeliever doesn't accept the things of the spirit but it's that he cannot accept the things of the spirit he's unable to there is actually a lack of ability on his or her part and the other one was romans 8 uh, verses Six and seven and eight, which says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed, it cannot. Again, no, there is no ability there for that flesh, the mind that's set on the flesh, to please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God yet however you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you so who is somebody whose mind is set on the Spirit it's somebody who is indwelt of the Holy Spirit somebody who is born again yeah who is somebody whose mind is set on the flesh somebody who does not have the Holy Spirit and that person is unable to please God Um, that's that's a lack of ability so we're we're in need of something here that's what total depravity really speaks about is a radical corruption of every faculty of what it means to be human you know being handed down to us from Adam and we're left in this state of not being able to please God of not being able to discern the things of the spirit Um, so it seems to me pretty clear cut that we're in a bad way
1: because yeah. of original sin. So it's John Calvin in chapter two of his Institutes. He says, the dominion of sin ever since the first man was brought under it not only extends to the whole race, but has complete possession of every soul. Well, and that, that is the issue, really. Like what you've just said, when when you're sharing the truth with people, if you're preaching in a church, and I've, I've, been, I've been in churches and places where as a you know, you I've been preaching and taking a service, and people are just looking daggers at you. Like they hate yeah. what you're saying, and you're like, "But this is this is the the word of God. This is the truth." And yet, there's just you know, you can just see that their eyes like slits. And they're just like they hate what you're saying. Yeah. it's like it's because their their hearts are turned against God. They don't have the Holy Spirit living in them. So, as the Apostle Paul says, it's foolishness to those who are lost. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And again, you know. <laughs> For me, this doctrine of, you know, radical corruption or total depravity, it it seems to be clearly biblical. And Jesus himself said in John chapter six, he he said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So, no one. Can just come to me in and of his own will he must be drawn by the father and this is the difficulty with the Ar- Arminianism um, and sort of semi Pelagianism is that it may say that we do have original sin Arminianism may say that we are affected by being an Adam but that somehow by some help of some provenient grace which is not mentioned in scripture Um, All people have exactly the same ability in and of themselves to come to God, uh, to please God, um, to accept salvation. But this doesn't seem to be uh, the witness of Scripture. Um, Yes, there is a a call in the gospel for all um, to repent and to believe. There's no question of that. But at the same time, we have these verses about those who are in the flesh they cannot receive, cannot discern the things of the Spirit. They cannot please God. There's a, a lack of ability on their part. So th- yeah. this is is one of those things that is, this is a bit of a conundrum, isn't it? It's difficult to think through. On the one hand, we're being commanded, repent and believe. On the other hand, we're being told, you know what, no one can actually come to me unless the Father draws him. <laughs> so yeah, w- this is this is one of those things that we must accept and believe because, scripture teaches it
1: yeah and i think i think one of the things that i've always seen as being quite striking as well is is how you know the actual apostle paul refers as well as you mentioned already in um, Romans one but he talks about that they are inventors of evil which i think is you know that is is really telling and and something that i see as a bit of a parallel to that is in Genesis 6 verse 5 which I think is arguably the most tragic verse in the whole Bible where it says the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Now there's something deeper in the Hebrew here which which is I think pretty mind-blowing and tragic. The very same Hebrew word yatzah that's used earlier in genesis 2 verse 7 when it says that god formed adam out of the dust that same hebrew word is being used here in genesis chapter 6 verse 5 to describe the forming of evil desires in the heart and mind of fallen humanity so here god has created humanity with the same creative ability and attribute that god used to create humanity out out of the perfect love that coexisted in the trinity and that that perfect ability to form and create has been so corrupted and tarnished that now humanity is using that God-given ability to bring evil dreams and desires into being so that you know that is thinking up ways and and dreaming up new ways to, to sin against God and since the de- depraved heart and mind is so darkened and corrupted that a person will reject the truth about God uh, because their heart is heartened and they'll think of, people will be looking up new ways and new things new ways of evil and there'll be geniuses in the way they do it. And I just think there's something about what the Apostle Paul says here about like inventors of evil. I think that we're always seeing humanity coming up with new ways of of just of just plumbing the depths. Yeah, absolutely. I think,
0: you know, we, we're not saying for example, I mean, we're all seeing that now, aren't we? You know, inventors of evil. Um, for me, it's like uh, there was news the other week uh, of a, a group of scientists in a Boston lab uh, creating a new variant of COVID that was 80% fatal to rats. Ooh. Who does yeah. who does that? Like literally. Yeah. Like, why do that? Like, we've just been through a pandemic where. You know millions have died, but yeah, yeah, let's go on into a lab and create a more virulent version that's going to kill more things, you know. So it's like again, inventors of evil. We, we have a, an epidemic of abortion in this nation, yeah. upwards of you know 200,000 babies every year being aborted. Um, so for me, I think that's true. I don't think, however, some people also say, uh, well, you're saying that we're as You know, again, utter depravity that you're saying we're as bad as we possibly could be. And I don't think that's what the Bible presents. And that's not the doctrine of total depravity because we absolutely believe that God in his providence actually holds back human sinfulness. Um, You know, not everyone's a Hitler. Uh, Do we have the capacity to be Hitler? Uh, Yeah, Uh, but we're not all Hitler.
1: (laughs) And I, so you can have hatred in your heart and mind, can't you? You can hate someone, um, um, but it doesn't mean you're going to kill lots of people, but the same hatred is, is actually can be, you know, there's even just a small amount of that, that hatred can be in any of us.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, that's, that's true god absolutely restrains human excess in sin um and i think that's scriptural another another way that people will sort of well describe the doctrine of total depravity is they'll call it total inability now i i sort Mm, of for a time i was very keen on that um i'm not so keen on on using that as such because I don't think it fully grasps the doctrine but I do think it gets one part of it which is what does total inability mean it means that we are totally unable to please God in and of our natural selves we're unable to reconcile ourselves to God to um, seek God and in fact R.C. Sproul is commenting on some of Jonathan Edwards works Um, he says the unbeliever will not seek The unbeliever will not knock. Seeking is the business of believers. Jonathan Edwards said, the seeking of the kingdom of God is the chief business of the Christian life. And as it says in Romans 3, there's no one who seeks after God. But that is what we believe, isn't it? We do very often talk about those who are seeking. Yeah, they're they're seeking for God. But actually, the Bible says none will. And I think, yeah, this this is the... This is the radical teaching of scripture um, that apart from God, no one seeks God. Um, It takes something supernatural to turn us from spiritually dead people who are really only interested in serving ourselves into people who are interested in serving God. That takes radical supernatural intervention. I think another interesting one that's mentioned in that book, it's Chosen by God by R.C. Sproul is this fact that many evangelists love the um, the passage of scripture in in Revelation. Let me read this to you. It's Revelation 3, uh, 20, and it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And this is the picture of Jesus um, at the door, and there's that famous uh, piece of art. Do you know who painted that, Gareth? I can't remember off
1: the top of my I- head i can't top my head either but we all (laughs) know the one the pictures beautiful painting
0: of of christ at the door with a little lamp and he's knocking and there's no handle on the outside there's only a handle on the inside and this is often preached as like listen jesus is knocking at the door of every human heart like will you let him in but what's often misunderstood is that this letter is written to a church of believers this this, christ isn't knocking at the heart this isn't this isn't a picture of Jesus knocking at the heart of every human. Sorry, knocking at the door of every no. human heart. This is a message of Jesus knocking on the door of believers' hearts and saying, "Hey, I'm ready to come in and sup with you and eat with you. Will you let me in?" It's actually about believers, not unbelievers. Yeah. Um, we're not saying that Jesus doesn't seek out those who are His, His elect, um, but you know, it's often this kind of mis- misuse of Scripture to support. What we really believe about humanity—that we we don't very often, um, we don't very often really see people as being spiritually dead who are outside of Christ. We don't really necessarily no. see them as, you know, um, not being God seekers. We 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 tend to view people in a much more humanistic way uh, than in a do. biblical I mean, way.
1: I mean, as a as an Anglican minister, I mean, I hear some of the the biggest load of cobblers you can imagine you know, I really do and, and I mean I could just be here all night getting off on that I'm not going to but there's one that I hear which always makes my skin crawl and it's the line oh you know we're all on a journey towards God you know we're all on a yeah. pilgrimage you know we're all everyone's on a journey they're just on their journey towards God you think well if they got hit by a bus today which part of the journey would they be on <laughs> saved or not saved you That's know it. it's sort of yeah. and it's just I'm sorry all of this sort of ethereal kind of Catholic, you know, nonsense. I don't know what, what you'd call it. This kind of very sort of abstract idea of everybody's just on their little journey towards God and they're all just sort of feeling their way around. Well, i tell you what they're, they're, they're groping around in the dark yeah, because they're blind. And that's the, that's a fact. And the only way you get saved is by the Holy Spirit. And that is the elect the only person who gets saved is someone who's elect of god you know because as we're going to see that the whole point of of the, the the whole nature being corrupted means that your heart is darkened your mind and reasoning is darkened and your and your your body craves that which is that's why people get addicted to all sorts of things and you see what you know people that once they get further down that road that there's addictions there there's a you could just see some people who are just who just in captive to the flesh and and it's because it's already in there it's right from birth
0: yeah absolutely this is i mean that's that you know you're using biblical language uh, to describe you know the, the the state of man outside of christ i think it's you know is it ephesians it says you know they don't walk you know in the futility of the ways that the gentiles walk their, their, their hearts were darkened you know um and so it it is a difficult it is a difficult thing to accept the yeah. sort of biblical teaching um, about how desperate things are really for mankind. And We were looking today at church actually at the story of blind Bartimaeus crying out, "You know yeah, Jesus, story, yeah. Son of David, have mercy on me." And we're talking about this is actually a blind man who could see. Like he could see uh, that he was blind. He knew he was blind. He knew he was desperate. He knew he needed grace. He needed mercy. He needed Christ to set him free. And I think it was J.C. Ryle who, who said, you know, our problem is that the type of blindness we're born with is almost like a blindness that doesn't really believe it's blind you know it's sort of we we think we can see um and we think we see things clearly and it's only when the illumination of the holy spirit comes that we realize our former sight was in fact darkness it was blindness we didn't see and so we need um to present people with the radical condition of their hearts we, they need to be able to feel the desperation of their condition before they will cry out, "Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me." If we just go around telling everybody that, you know what, um, we're all neutral, and you know, yeah. um, you're, you know, we're not particularly sinful. We're all on a journey and a pilgrimage towards God, and um, you know, all the best with that. Um, yeah.
1: we're, we're never good gonna... luck with your pilgrimage. Yeah. <laughs> Of, of good you know of, of good deeds and kind of like trying to somehow you know make yourself right with god because that's what a lot of people are trying to do they're just trying to clock up church attendance over 50 or 60 years and enough good deeds to somehow get them in yeah this is it and um
0: if we're not presenting people with what the bible says you know that you know, like paul says in ephesians 2 you were dead in your trespasses yeah. and sins. Um, you know, there's not going to be that sense of desperation to call out on God for mercy, for grace. Um, I think that's absolutely key. And I think, um, yeah, we'll get to this in later weeks when we do talk about the doctrine of unconditional election. We'll see that that is the only option. You know, if, yeah. if this first doctrine is true and we are all actually not seeking god we're all born not seeking god we're all born blind and dead in sin then there is no hope of salvation other than a supernatural intervention other than something outside of ourselves coming and somehow making us alive we hope our situation's hopeless
1: I I absolutely and I I love that um, that passage in Ephesians 2 and you were dead in your transgressions and sins and I always think of a parallel with Ezekiel 37 with the the dead dry bones like you you didn't just you didn't just die 10 minutes ago you know you, you were like those bones in the valley in Ezekiel you were dry and and been dead for a very long time and what do we see but we see the word of god brings all of the bones and and this and the flesh back but then it, it, is the, it is the the wind, the spirit of God that brings life. And, and it is the word of God that has the power, but it's the Holy Spirit that brings the word to life in us and brings our spirit to life. And, and, and as Jesus says to Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And this is something where it, only the Holy Spirit can do this. And this is why, I mean, it breaks my heart how the church just doesn't pray. Like we we have lost prayer in the mm. church and it is our main weapon because the only way anyone's going to get saved is if we're praying for that person to have their eyes open we're praying for the spirit of God to to uh, meet with that person and to bring regeneration and, and faith in that person because that person will never believe you'll never be able to make that person understand and I've honestly I've seen people mainly women actually who are married to a non-christian husband it seems to be yes there are some you do get men with with unChristian, non-christian women but i seem to see a lot in the church a lot of as i call them, like the Chris, christian kind of like women on their own uh, with their husband at home and i see the pain and the and the, the longing for their husbands to believe and and you, and you i've asked many christian men that i've pleaded with and tried to explain the gospel to and, and just desperately wanted to see them saved but it's only prayer that's going to do it it's only crying out to God constantly and praying that God would open their eyes yeah 100% and this is you know this is why we pray isn't it this is
0: because instinctively you know we understand that this is out of our hands yeah. <laughs> instinctively we know we need God to intervene um, It's it's a desperate situation and I think this is the key thing is that if it's true that we're all we all are born with an equal ability in and of ourselves without the grace of god we don't need god's grace we are we are born you know as charles finney preached we're all born with this the same set of moral abilities that we can choose god we can choose god we can choose to believe god at any point you know sin hasn't affected us so deeply that we can't do that. We're all born with this inherent ability to choose God and to choose that which is sinless and to to basically pull our socks up and be righteous and to make ourselves pleasing to God. If that's true, yeah. then what that makes you as a Christian is just somebody who made the right choices. And yeah. you can then therefore say with the Pharisee, thank God I am not like them that I was not born like them who made the wrong choices. Oh Lord, I thank you that I have made all the right choices and that I have chosen the good and therefore I am saved because your salvation is ultimately not the result of grace, but the result of your
1: ability to choose the good. Um, And you'd be able to say, that's one of my best decisions I ever made was to suddenly decide that I would. So somehow, well, that's not all grace then, is it? It's partly your, you know, good choices in life. Well, or, if it's, you know, if it's they- outside of grace
0: and it really is just we're all given the same ability, we can all choose God and choose to obey the gospel from the get-go, right? Then those who are in heaven are there by virtue of their good choice. Those who are in hell are there by virtue of simply their bad choice. There's no grace needed. We're able to just choose the good. Um, yeah. And so... That's that, that. For me, is the the difficulty with that view is that there's there's very little need for for grace there, and I just don't see a biblical precedent for prevenient grace. That that you know, there's this kind of special grace that's given to all to kind of like cheat code original sin, so that we can all. You know, I just don't I don't see yeah. it there. And so, you know, if we read through Ephesians two, for me, that's the that's the that's the kind of like way I see this this kind of radical sinfulness in mankind being Overridden, it's not by us, it's by God. So, you know, we see chapter two, don't we? And you were dead in your trespasses, sorry, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind." But God. Uh, that, but God. <laughs> there we go. But God, there's no you know there's there's no glory for man to be had in this like we were destitute by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind it says. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages in kindness, sorry, in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Amen. What glory can man take from that? Exactly. Once you read that, it's it's a mic drop, isn't it? It's mic drop. It's absolutely. You know, there's no there's no recourse to be had here. Like our our situation outside of God's grace was desperate. There was nothing yeah. a dead man can do. In fact, the, the picture of salvation, we've said this before, is not really. You know, often the sort of picture is given of like a man is drowning in the sea, and and you know, Christ yeah. comes and throws him. Uh, you know, one of those little rescue rings or whatever you call them. <laughs> he throws him a rope or whatever, and the man grabs hold of it, and Jesus pulls him in. But that's not the biblical presentation, is it? Not at all, as R. No. C. Sproul has said. Really, the man's not swimming around on the surface, waving his arms and being able to grab something. He's actually a corpse at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, <Simple laughs> a, a God yeah. has to reach down. Been eaten down.
1: by a crocodile or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Pull that dead corpse up and gives him new life you know that's really the biblical picture the the picture is of lazarus in the tomb you know and jesus says lazarus come out like the dead man can't come out that's supernatural he comes out because he's being called by god (laughs) you know god gives him fresh life god gives him new life
1: i love this quote by paul washer and he says blind men see no beauty in a sunset deaf men are unmoved by a song beasts have no appreciation for art carnal men find no worth in god and that is true like how many people have you had a conversation with where they 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 have absolutely no uh, love for god no no need for him no sense of any being moved to him in any kind of way at all and, and will just laugh at you yeah you know, carnal men find no worth in God, yet for someone who's been redeemed, they can't live without God. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's complete transformation, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And um, and this is, I mean, that is
0: the biblical picture. And it's not, um, uh, you know, I've said before at the start of the show, this doctrine of total depravity, or if you want to call it radical corruption or whatever you, you need to call it, but this doctrine isn't a Calvinistic doctrine. It's a Christian doctrine. Yeah. It's a Christian doctrine. Like Pelagius taught that you know Adam's sin was not passed on that this was something that Adam sinned in and of himself and and we each of us is born with an absolute freedom of will he was condemned as a heretic so total depravity is not Calvinistic it's just Christian and in fact there are many Arminians that believe what we've just talked about tonight Um, there are many Arminians that hold to total depravity all we would say is that once you've accepted man's total inability to make himself alive again you know that he is dead in sin that he, yeah. he is blind that you know he is a child of wrath outside the grace of God um, you know that, like we said the dominoes start tumbling once we actually believe that and stop trying to fight against it we understand that salvation can only come from outside of ourselves right and i think it's it's a really cool story actually of um rc Sproul teaching his theology class about this doctrine of total depravity and he asked his class you know how many of you have persuaded that what you've just learned is in fact the doctrine of human sinfulness and uh you know every hand went up they all believed this doctrine of total depravity and he said are you sure and they said yep we're sure and he said be careful this might come back to haunt you and uh, they said no we're convinced and then he wrote a little number 25 which was the number of students that had agreed that they believed this doctrine of total depravity or radical corruption and he said several weeks later we began a study of predestination when I got to the point of man's moral inability there were howls of protest <laughs> wow. and then I went to the chalkboard yeah. and reminded them of the earlier poll it took another two weeks to convince them that they if they really accepted the biblical view of human corruption the debate about predestination for all intents and purposes was already over yeah and I think he's absolutely right you know if we accept this man's total inability to in and of himself choose that which is good in the eyes of God you know to you know just obey the gospel because he's spiritually dead and he cannot receive the things of the spirit then immediately we say well how is there any hope for that individual who is dead who has no ability to make himself alive we can only look to the hand of god can't we yeah we can only look to god's ability and that's why that those two words in ephesians 2 are so powerful but god
1: I think this is one of the things as a minister, I'm sure you've seen it, but for me, I think it's one of the things we see a lot in the Church of England is this kind of trying to, Get to God through works, so you can actually have people who, and this is I find this is the thing I find the hardest um, to get my head around. But it really is that you can have people who they believe in God, but they're not saved. So, so there is actually uh, they yeah they believe they're religious, they believe in God, but you know like the Pharisees in 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 the New Testament, we see a lot of the time that people will try to wear kind of moral medals. Mm. and they'll try to you know they they go to church every week or you know they they, and even even in kind of more evangelical circles it's very easy to fall into the trap of kind of of trying to just keep certain areas of your life right so maybe you don't drink you don't smoke you don't you know have sex outside of marriage whatever it is And and you and you keep a moralism that you know you're, you're walking in a straight line as far as you're concerned and yet like y- you think that that just turning up and being moral is enough moralistic therapeutic deism and a lot of people in church circles for years find themselves living like this and then they wonder why it is that they that you know they, they mess up in, a, in a, a massive way and it's kind of like well actually because deep down you Really desire those sinful things because your heart hasn't actually been changed. Yeah, and I think all of us can res- and can relate to that some way, can't we? At some point in our life, where actually. Deep down, we really still wanted things that that were wrong, and 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 the heart hadn't really been changed, and we lived this kind of belief that somehow we could we could just do it ourselves, and and this is it, it, this is why that this message is so important. It's never your righteousness. No, it's never your righteousness. It's it's but God. Yeah, it's His righteousness, His forgiveness, His grace. That's why Martin Luther. Everyone gets messed up over this quote, but I, I think I know where he's getting at with this. Martin Luther once said be a sinner and sin boldly um, but more strongly have faith and rejoice in christ and in many ways he's saying look you know it's better for you to train wreck and understand that you bring nothing to the table at all other than your own sin and the way you've messed up and recognize what it is to receive the grace of God, then, then to go for your life thinking that somehow Christianity is you just kind of doing some, some good things and, yeah. and somehow having a spiritual pride. I think in many ways, every one of us as a Christian, when we've really train wrecked, I think there's been a moment, certainly in, in my life, and I'm, and I'm sure in others, where we've, as Christians, we've train wrecked at various points and yet it's actually brought us to a realisation of, of what the grace of God is uh, and that, uh, that we, we are saved really by grace, not by our own effort. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? I
0: think um, unless we have this doctrine presented to us and we really, you know, are at pains to believe it, it naturally gets swallowed up in our kind of secular humanistic culture, doesn't it? You know, yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately there's a lot of the world in modern preaching there's a lot of humanism that gets mixed in with modern preaching and and really that was you know that's (laughs) that i think that's the problem is that we're just kind of immersed in this stuff of yeah the idea that you know we're all just basically good um that we all you know we're all sort of on the level footing um, we don't suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You know, we're not dead in our trespasses, really. Are you saying Joan from number 23, who sends a Christmas card every year, is dead yeah. in know si- How dare you? You know, that is the response. Like, I, you know, it's what you hear. But unfortunately, that is the biblical witness. And I think many Christians have let go of this biblical doctrine because it hurts feelings. And because it's not nice to say that someone is a sinner or that actually (laughs) the world is at sin, you know, and uh, is unable, apart from the grace of God, to save itself. It's not nice. And I think equally, we like to feel in control, don't we? We like to feel in control of our destiny. That's a very powerful thing to believe. And we feel disempowered by this doctrine um because it puts us solely in the hands of a sovereign god to determine yeah. ultimately our destination and uh, you know are we saying for example that it's all just mechanistic and fatalistic no not at all that's not the biblical witness at all we must be- no. believe um but that as ephesians 2 says that faith itself is a gift of god so yes we must believe uh, just because god has a sovereign decree about who ultimately will be and won't be saved it doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to obey the gospel no to repent and to believe and that we must take it upon ourselves to do that that's simply what the bible teaches and so i think it's it's about re kind of immersing our mind in the bible and understanding the worldview that Scripture presents uh, as we said about presuppositional apologetics earlier you know it's a big word isn't it but really that's the view that we do apologetics through the lens of scripture that we yeah. look to the way that scripture presents mankind and so we do apologetics in line with that now, scripture says that man is a slave to sin man suppresses yeah. the truth and unrighteousness man does not seek God man is not good and so particularly with the thing in Romans 1 where it says you know we suppress the truth and unrighteousness many apologists spend their whole career just presenting evidence to people for god and they think that that's going to do the job you know and i think god uses evidence in people's salvation yeah. i actually use some evidential apologetics and i think it's it's helpful sometimes to use it however If we are simply presenting evidence to God, to somebody who is consistently and always, according to Scripture, going to take that evidence. And apart from being born again, they're going to stuff that evidence down somewhere where it can't hurt them and it can't change them. Actually, all we're doing is we're putting that place, they're putting that person rather in the seat of God. We're saying, you are the judge. You yeah. you're the judge of God. You decide whether God's claims are true or false. And that's simply not how the Bible presents humanity. We are not autonomous. We are not the judge no. of all the earth. God is. So we must present the person with the gospel we must present them with god as he is and not treat yeah. them that, as though they are some sort of mini judge mini king who has the right to stuff evidence about god down somewhere where it can't <laughs> it can't affect yeah. them you know we must preach the gospel we yes present evidence i'm not saying don't do that but it's understanding the radical brokenness and sinfulness of mankind um
1: so it is yeah you know, I think there's, uh, that is a key point you make, actually, about bringing someone to the point where they recognise their need of God. They yeah. recognise that, you know, where they, that they see the holiness of God, they recognise their sin. If I, I, I've always loved this story that's told by the evangelist Becky manley Piper, And um, she tells this story of a time when she was ministering to a young lady after she'd been speaking at a church event. And this young lady had opened up to Rebecca and told her that she, had, uh, you know, that she hadn't told this to anybody else and her husband was the only person who knew. But during her ministry, this, this lady was a highly successful youth pastor for a time in a large church in America, adored by the congregation and the church leadership. And uh, in the last year of her engagement with her now husband, they had become sexually active and that had led to a pregnancy out of wedlock. Obviously unable to approach the leadership of the church because of the shame of committing the very sin that she was so active in helping her youth not to stumble into three months before her wedding, she had an abortion. And this young lady described her wedding day as the second worst day of her life as she walked down the aisle with everyone smiling at her. And all she could think of herself was, you're a murderer. Imagine that on her wedding day, and that's all she can think. And as she broke down and wept uncontrollably, completely racked with guilt and totally unable to forgive herself for what she'd done. And this is how Becky Manley-Pippitt responds to her. She says, my dear sister, I don't know why you're so surprised because this isn't the first death of an innocent that you're responsible for, it is your second. The cross shows all of us as crucifiers, aborters, non-aborters, religious, pagan. All has sent Jesus Christ to the cross. All of us are responsible for the death of the only true innocent that has ever lived. Of course, Jesus willingly gave his life as a ransom. But do you think that there was any sin you committed that didn't nail him to the cross? And for the first time, the woman stopped crying and she replied, Do you know what? I don't think that I've ever really understood that my sin drove Jesus to the cross. And I've just realized something. I've felt more guilt over the death of my own son than the death of God's own son. Wow. But if the cross shows me that I've done the worst thing that any human being could ever be accused of, that I'm responsible for the death of Jesus, God's own son, and that has been forgiven, how can anything else not be forgiven? Talk about amazing grace. And Becky goes on to say, I saw a woman literally transformed before my eyes because she understood the mystery of the cross. (laughs) Come on.
0: (laughs) Come on. I mean, if that doesn't nail it, what will? <laughs> That's powerful. It's a wonderful story. That's powerful. And So we see, you know, once again, that the radical sinfulness of mankind, your radical sinfulness, apart from the grace of God. And I think what we're talking about here in this first part of our series on the doctrines of grace on, on total depravity or radical corruption, what we're beginning to see is this picture of our utter helplessness apart from the grace of God and so there's that passage we read through in Ephesians 2 which everything sounds so dark and so bleak and then we get that wonderful phrase but God but God God you know and and R.C. Sproul says you know looking in that passage in Ephesians 2 when we get to that place of but God all of the verbs in that portion of Scripture through Ephesians 2 from the book god portion to verse 10 i believe all of the verbs relate to one person they yeah. re- they re- they relate to one person that person being god and this is what we call in theology monism monism that's two words together we've got uh, mono meaning one and the word erg or which ergo uh, which we get this unit of energy that's basically what that means and you put those two words together mono and erg that means one working one working and so in salvation There is one party working, not two, one. And that party is is God. He's the one who saves us. He's the one who makes us alive again. He's the one who gives us the gift of faith. He's the one who gives us Christ. Yes, we are required to believe. Yes, we're required to repent. But both of those two things are gifts from God that he gives to his enemies elect and of course we will talk about that more in the next session but we want you to go away tonight we want you to remember that that was your condition if you're a christian listening in tonight that was your condition you were utterly dead utterly helpless you were like the dry bones in the valley in ezekiel 37 there was no hope for you but god But God made you alive together with Christ. If you're a non-Christian listening here tonight, we want to remind you again that that is your condition. You are like blind Bartimaeus sat beside the road. And we pray right now that you would understand, just like he did, how blind he was, that you want to see. And we want to tell you that Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah, is here right now. Will you call out on him? Will you call to him? Will you say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me tonight. You know, that's what we would ask of you. Will you repent and believe the gospel? Will you, like Bartimaeus, cry out for the Lord Jesus Christ to cause the scales to fall from your eyes so that you could see the glory of God, so that you could become as he did, a disciple who walked the road with Christ, to be born again. You know, we remember the words of Jesus to Nicodemus. He said, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't cannot see the kingdom of god we would say to you would you like to be born again tonight then you must trust in jesus christ as your lord and savior so we hope this first session has has been uh, of help to you Uh, i don't know if there's anything you want to add before we close gareth
1: no, I think so. That's, that's pretty much it. I think we, uh, we, we've explored total depravity. Next time, we'll obviously look at unconditional election, which is obviously probably raising a lot of questions for a lot of people. But I, yeah, I think that is really, you've, you've put it very well that, that actually we were dead but God and what an amazing thing that God has done for us that he would He would bring us to life uh, when we had no power in ourselves, no willpower or anything in our hearts to lead us towards God other than his Holy Spirit. So what a, what a I think it's the most beautiful doctrine uh, and, and to recognize that nothing to Christ I bring, but to the cross I cling. Mm. And, and that is something which I, I think we all need to keep reminding ourselves of absolutely absolutely
0: well we hope this has been of use to you um this session we look forward to being back with you again as we discuss the next part of this series on unconditional election and um yeah as as you go your way may you be blessed and may your walk with jesus be deepened and broadened and enriched yeah bless you all and uh take care and god bless take care god bless